You're listening to American Timelines by History for Jokes, the greatest podcast. Welcome to another episode of American, American Timelines. Timelines. I'm Amy. And I am known around these parts as the fastest gunslinger. I was waiting. I can hear the- your improv mind starting right <laughs> before this what? part. What? I can hear the gears <laughs> well, the clicking. Ge- the gears going. Yeah. <laughs> what am I going to say? What am I, I gonna am say? Robo Joe. I am a robotic. That's creation Joe. of a podcast, drinking okay. beer, loving fellow. All right, I am going stop. to talk like this on the whole no, podcast. No, they're not doing that. I'm Robo Joe. You're definitely not doing that. You'd like it. No. <laughs> I'll do uh, it. I'll this do is it a to, podcast. Uh, a bedroom lighter. About um, oh, this is uh, pop yeah. culture. <clears throat> yeah, those of you who's uh, this is your first time. Welcome to our podcast. You are going to be hooked. Just get ready because you're going to well, binge listen. We suggest you, if if this is your first time, that you maybe go back and you start at the 1980s. Yeah, you're not going to understand what we're talking about. And you could even go back if you really, really want to start at the very beginning. If you want to see us, if you want to be on the ground floor like uh, Anthony on Instagram, you're going to want to go back <laughs> to the 1990 episode where we had no idea what the hell we were doing. Actually, yeah. it's probably terrible because we didn't do it any research. Yeah. Remember, we didn't do any research. We yeah. just like looked at a website and read off of yep. it kind of. Yeah, we did. So, but you'll see the evolution uh, of okay. of where we've gotten. So, but what we do is we talk about uh, each year mm-hmm. chronologically, right? And we talk about pop culture. We talk about music. We talk about movies. We talk about crazy shit that happened. Mm, true crime. True crime. Amy likes that for some reason because she's a weirdo. Uh, we talk sometimes politics and some just different yeah. commercials, different and, things that happened, cultural phenomena. Yeah, and then we so we bring them up and then we just. Uh, React to them. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Okay, well, then what do they like about it? Why are we doing it? But, but it's because we and put nostalgia. it all in one. It's yeah, it's nostalgia. It's all in one it's episode. In one so place. we talk about a murder. Sometimes a timeline of a murder. And we talk about what was maybe what was on TV during that murder, or yeah. what was going on in the world during that murder. Everybody likes to reminisce and remember, and so yeah. it's kind of like history with a pop culture spin. And I've had people tell me that hey. It's funny because when you mentioned that episode of Growing Pains or whatever, no, I didn't know about that murder, but I heard that I remember that episode of Growing Pains, and that put a, oh, that's when that happened. I Somebody understood. told you that, yeah, really. It oh, wasn't exactly cool. Growing Pains, but it was whatever something. it was. It was yeah. something I mentioned that well, helped them cool. realize it. So, uh, yeah. So uh, I know you hate that part, but that's I'm keeping it I in because hate, people I love don't it. Hate you're filled with hate. I don't hate you. Hate 80, 1986 ballads. I do. Okay, you're right. I hate that. I hate those. You do. So this this time we are going to talk about 1988. Yeah, we're all into 88, which is one of the greatest years for me. Really? It was one of the first first years I really remember being aware. I remember New Year's Eve turning into 88. I remember thinking, oh my God, it's we're almost in the 90s. And really, I was kind of growing into my own. I was yeah. becoming an adult. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't an adult. Maybe, almost. I was 12. No, yeah. Um, no, I don't think you were 12. Yeah. Because... I turned 12 in 88 here. 
Oh, well, I guess that might be. I don't know. <laughs> you're terrible at math. I know. Math, you're really bad. You know but, what I'm trying to do instead of thinking, trying to do it the math, I'm trying to remember like what I was doing in 1988, and I didn't think I was. Oh, no, you were probably doing it. N- what? <laughs> well, you were 20. No. You're 17 years I older was than me. No, you're 15? Eight yeah. years older than me? Anyway. Anyway. Corrections and apologies. First, there's a couple corrections and apologies. Oh, okay. So, number one, um, Peter Sellers was not in RoboCop. <laughs> uh, it was actually he would have been an older man, <laughs> I think, if he was in RoboCop. That's right. I see. I don't even think I know who actual Peter Sellers is. He was in I the was getting the name wrong. Pink Panther Peter. movies. Right. Oh, okay. Right. So Peter Weller. Yeah. Was RoboCop. Yep. That's right. And again, not to be defensive, but we're drinking. We. I drink on these podcasts, <laughs> so I get things wrong. So that means you have no excuse because you uh, got something wrong in the last episode. Me? You you mm-hmm. said um, uh, Fatal Attraction. You yeah. said it starred oh, Annie I, Potts. Yeah, but I didn't. I believe. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't um, <laughs> commit to that. I, I said have, I thought. I have no. It was, I wanted memory. to say it, and it was actually Ann Archer. So it was oh, an Ann. It was an Ann. So that was yes, close. So was Peter Weller, Ann. Peter Sellers, Annie Potts, and Ann, I knew it was Ann something. I don't I guess. know who, who was it really. Ann Archer. I don't know who that is. Yeah. I don't even. Do you? Uh, I, I remember the name once I heard it. You just remember her from porn. No, I remember her from Fatal Attraction. I knew it was Anne something, oh. I guess. I have I've zero. I think Annie Potts is a comic actress, zero. so I guess it would have well, been a bad. Annie, well, we're going to cover in our next episode, uh, when we get to 1989, there's some, there's some Annie Potts stuff. Oh, there is. Uh, it's basically an Annie Potts episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, I've only done Annie All Potts it research. It's yep. just basically, a, it's just kind of a uh, her career uh, mm-hmm. kind of a, a portrait, a life portrait yes. of Annie Potts. Is yep. episode a memoir. Be. Um, no, but... Um, I was gonna say, are those the all of the stop it? Are those all the corrections and apologies? Uh, yeah, I think that was it. Oh, I was gonna say I have no memory of Fatal Attraction that character, that other character, his actual wife. Oh, I have no memory of her. I just, I really just remember being repulsed, shocked that oh my god, this is what relationships are. Oh my god, like, what do I do? And then it- sure enough, I was in like four of those, so mm. that's good. Nineteen eighty-eight. So. Um, At the beginning of the year, George Michael's Faith was still the number one song left over from 87. You got to have faith. Faith, the faith, the faith. faith. I got to have faith. Uh, No, I liked that song. Yeah, well, that album. The whole whole album album was was really good. It was good. It it put him in the category of Michael Jackson and Madonna. Yeah. It was based, or Whitney Houston. Michael Jackson, Whitney Houston, and George Michael were, yeah, had the most singles well, and then his follow-up album that, was fantastic. Out. That "Listen Without Prejudice," I think it was called. Yeah, I don't really. That one was. About that. that one was really good. Yeah, I don't really. We would have talked about it in the '90s if it was anything, if we didn't. So I had it, though. I liked it. Well, you had it. But anyway. Anyway, you were an aimless youth. Yes. But that that was number one all the way through to January eighth, okay. and then on Tuesday, January fifth of nineteen eighty-eight. Uh, do you know who Pete Maravich is? You heard of that name, Pete Maravich? No. He was uh, an NBA basketball player. Now, why would I know him then? Why do you ask me do I know him? Well, maybe because of this. Okay. During a 1974 interview, Pete Maravich said, I don't want to play 10 years in the NBA and then die of a heart attack when I'm 40. He died of a heart attack in 1988 at age 40 after his 10-year career really? in the NBA. Yeah. Wow. Isn't that weird? 
Talk about getting the math right. Yeah, he got it right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I don't want that to happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, guess what, pal? Yeah. It's happening. Yep. Bam. Yeah, man. Bam. Turnabout is fair play. Yeah, I guess so. Also, he was raped by Bill Cosby. No, no. no. <laughs> he, no. Might not have been. he might have been. Yeah, know. well, who knows? And then on Saturday, January 9th, 1988, mm-hmm. uh, Whitney Houston knocked George Michael off the, the, off, the off king the, of the mountain yeah. of the Billboard charts. Uh, with a song where it starts out where she says, I don't know why I like him. I just do. What? I don't know why I like him. I just do. And then she starts singing. Do you know? No, not at all. I get so emotional, oh. baby. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and it's that. shocking what love can okay. do. You don't like that song? Not you remember really. it at all? Yeah. See, yeah, I do. This is when she started getting kind of cheesy. I mean, yeah. she was a lot of number one hits still, but... Yeah. Just kind of, yeah, oh, yeah, that one. Oh, yeah, ugh, that Going one into soft rock. Easy listening, yeah. yeah. You slurp your beer? I intentionally did not slurp it. I can still hear it. You couldn't hear it. Nobody can hear it. You can't hear it. I think it's because you suck it in as you, you, you suck in the air as it's coming through your mouth. Maybe that's why I get just waiting. Maybe that's why I get It probably is. You're supposed to wait to not. Just wait till it goes into my gullet. Let me try Yeah. So much more. Oh my quiet. god, that's so much better. So much quieter, and I'm probably less gassy. I bet. <gasps> Why do I breathe? <laughs> Why do I breathe in when I take a drink? You just can't wait to get it in there. I've just you learned. See. I just learned how to drink. I guess. <laughs> uh, what's wrong with me? <laughs> oh my god! But I'm afraid I'm gonna drown. I have to like no, take you, a breath. I think it's because like, you cannot wait to get that down your gullet. No, so it's, <gasps> it's like when you go underwater. Like I'm not gonna be able to breathe through my mouth for a minute, so I better, you know, it's take a breath. So in. weird. <laughs> So I just weird. realized just now that's what I'm doing. <laughs> I apologize. On January, sa- Saturday. It's like little kids do that. Saturday, you're a little kid. Saturday, <laughs> Jan- January, Saturday, January 16th, 1988, George Harrison had a number one hit. Remember he was from the Beatles? Yes. You know who George Harrison is? Yes. He's not John Lennon or, or Paul McCartney. I know McCartney, who he is. And he's not Yogo Ono or Ringo Starr. Shh. He's the other. I know who he is. Okay. He's in the Beatles. What song did he have number one hit in 1988? God, if you're I, so I smart. Can, I know. I know it. Oh, so you don't know who he but is. But I can't think of it. Here's a hint. I know who he fucking is. It was a cover. It wasn't his original song. He covered it. I'm not going to remember it. Here's another hint. Steve Bishop and I recorded this song at Cedar Point. I don't know. Just tell me what it is. You know what? Amusement Park's how you can go in that booth yes. and record and they give you a tape. Yes. <laughs> he and I sang this song. What is it? And we sang uh, Do I Diddy on the other side. We sang this and Do I Diddy. Okay. What is the song? I got my mind set That's what it was. on you. Yep. And I remember very clearly, because I was 12, mm-hmm. right? And we went to Cedar Point. Yep. Steve's voice had changed, was starting to change, and mine wasn't yet. Oh. So when you, if you find that, if we can find that tape somewhere, you can hear that I still have, but I sang everything. I did everything like this. This was always my voice. Yeah, I yeah. always like did a funny voice. Yeah. All the time. Mm-hmm. So I was singing like this. I got my mind set on. And he was like, I got my mind set. <laughs> like it started changing. Yeah. So anyway. I doubt anybody has that tape still. I, my mom probably does. Oh, really? It's probably a scrapbook. Maybe she no, doesn't. If she doesn't, she, does. uh, she doesn't really love me. But it was originally uh, composed <laughs> by Rudy Clark and originally recorded by James Ray in 1962. Okay. Remember that song? I don't remember the original. I don't remember. But you it. remember the George, George oh, yeah. Harrison one? Does it yeah. bring back any memories for you? No. Okay. I mean, just that time period in general, but not. I don't have like a specific memory tied to the song. Okay. Okay. Well, fine then. 
Saturday, January 23rd, 1988, mm -hmm. Michael Jackson takes over the Billboard charts with The Way You Make Me Feel. Yeah, I remember you that. You really turn me on. Boy, there's not really much That's going on in January except for Just music. songs, yeah. Just songs. Um... Yeah. It's got to be the Super Bowl coming up it's, here, right? It's coming up, but there was just a lot of songs. Okay. But The Way You Make Me Feel, it's a great song. Yeah. I love that song. And uh, the video, remember the video, he's like chasing that girl around, and somehow we all believe that he was in love with that girl. Yeah, sort of. Um, I saw an article just the other day that said somebody who was close to Michael Jackson said that he didn't identify Is, as a gender. That's probably true. And that. And now that makes, like, total then sense. it didn't make sense. Now it does. Yeah, it makes have, total sense. He's not, yeah, he's not a gender. That, yeah. Because he wasn't really gay. Like, he didn't come he off as gay. He was kind of trans. But, tra like, just just nothing. Like, yeah. just Michael, he was yeah. Michael Jackson. Like, it didn't matter. Like, OJ said, I'm not black, I'm OJ. He's yeah. not He's not a guy or a girl, he's Michael Jackson. Right. I don't know. Uh, anyway, recently, I don't know how I came across the video of Michael Jackson performing that in Vegas or somewhere with Britney mm -hmm. Spears. Oh, yeah. And they both sang that song together, and mm -hmm. it was pretty fucking sweet. Yeah. Like Britney is so She was so hot. Beautiful. Like yeah, beautiful. she is. And she was, like, walking, and he's, like, chasing her down, and they're singing together. And Michael Jackson good. and Britney Spears, I bet that's funny to sing. It's neat to She see. must have been really young. Yeah. It was, but it was not really, right? Because it wasn't, it must have been close to when he was going to die. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I think it was, like, 2006 or something, yeah. or five, maybe. I don't know. Because I think she was already, I think she already gone crazy, maybe. Okay. Um. I'm Got to get sure out exactly of her system. When, yeah, but she still looked awesome, and she was like yeah. teasing him and just so hot. Uh, but it's a, that's a cool version. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that's a great song. That's the video where he's his. They're humping the ground like the whole his what? whole him and his band, and they do the they have that whole like five minute breakdown where they're just like dancing and breathing in the streets, and he's like <laughs> and he's like humping what? the floor. They're all humping the floor. What? You don't Are you that? sure this is not yeah. something else you watched? Yeah, remember it's like Sounds he's like, like chasing this girl and he's got a gang in the street. Like yeah, he always has. I hear that part. And they all like start and they just like break down. Like, like, like a thriller when they break down and start yeah. dancing. They do that in this too. But they end up like laying face down, humping the ground, all all of him and his buddies. It was kind of weird. Yeah, you have to watch that too. Oh, okay. If you don't believe me, just watch it. Yeah. I don't know why I like him. I just do. Sorry. On Sunday, January 24th, 1988. I want to talk to you about a gentleman named Pat Patterson. Okay. Have you ever heard that name before? I don't think so. Pat Patterson? He was a French guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was a former pro wrestler. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he became sort of Vince McMahon's right-hand man. Okay. And so he does a lot of the dirty work, like firing people or mm -hmm. coming up with ideas for matches and like maybe saying who's going to win what match. or Oh, here, well, let's put the belt on this guy. Let's do the storyline. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He constructed the idea of the Royal Rumble match. That was his idea. Okay. Having two guys start out every two minutes, a new guy comes out there. Yeah. That was his idea. And they did it for the first time in 1988. That was a lot of intro for that. <laughs> well, Pat Patterson's going to also be very vital to another story I'm going to tell later. Okay. I'll try That's to remember That's an ongoing saga. Well, you'll hear about Pat Patterson. He's French. Remember, he's French. Oh, here's the other thing. He's gay. Okay. Gay wrestler. Oh. Came out of the closet recently. Uh, because you know, because he couldn't, yeah, you couldn't for the, years, right? Yeah, but he's recently come out. They actually had a reality show on the WWE Network where yeah. a bunch of old wrestlers lived together. I remember you watching that. <laughs> yeah, so he was famous for singing karaoke and drinking man uh, martinis. I think, like drinking yeah. heavily and, and singing karaoke, and he would sing "My Way" all the time. Jeez, 
So when he came out, everybody's like, oh, oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, gay French guy. Anyway. But the wrestle, other wrestlers that were there with him weren't, didn't. No, they all just accepted him completely. Fine. Didn't Good. care. I mean, they're all old wrestlers now. They've been through everything. But Right. Um, anyway, on January 24th, 1988, was the first Royal Rumble match. Um, actually, a lot of people don't know this. So wrestling geeks are going to geek out about this because, um, and you'll love this because in St. Louis. Yep. There was an experimental Royal Rumble match on October 4th, 1987 in St. Louis, Missouri. They, that was not televised. You can't get footage of this anywhere. Yeah. And one man gang won that match, uh, eliminating Junkyard Dog right before the end of it. So really, uh, because that event was not televised and was a financial failure, nobody acknowledges that that happened. So it. Okay. So they tried it once in 87. Right. In St. Louis, not televised. Not televised. And now they and just they deny the, that it happened? And then in 1988, they did the first one that wasn't pay-per-view. It was just on regular TV. Yeah. I remember Andy and I were really getting into wrestling at this time. Yeah. Really big. Yeah. And we just happened to stumble upon it. Like, we didn't look it up on oh, right. TV Guide or anything. We just like, what is this? All of a sudden, it was like, Royal Rumble. Like, what is this? Oh. And if you know Andy and I. Yeah. We fucking love Royal Rumbles. I <laughs> like, know. Royal Rumble is the That's coolest thing. We, like, we we took all of our G.I. Joe characters because we couldn't afford all the... I guess I never stuff. realized it, but you're totally right that you guys are obsessed with Royal Rumble. Royal Rumbles were so great. So we took... So we didn't have all the, the big wrestling figures. Like, yeah. those were too expensive for us to have. But we already had a bunch of G.I. Joe guys. So mm-hmm. Andy and I went through all of our G.I. Joe guys, mm-hmm. and we, we picked guy by guy like who's going to be who looks like ultimate warrior who mm-hmm. looks like this guy so we assigned gi joe guys to wrestlers. be different wrestlers yeah so we had all the wrestlers already just by renaming our gi joe guys and they didn't really yeah. look like them we just in our mind pretended they were there. i got it and then we did royal rumbles forever all the time all right stop so back so to we love royal rumble so back to january 24th the first Royal Rumble that we saw, we stumbled upon TV, and I was like, oh, my God, this is so cool. Oh, who's going to come out now? Oh, and every two minutes, like, boom, another guy comes out. It's just, mm-hmm. like, so cool and random, whoever came out. Hacksaw Jim Duggan won it, and uh, he always had snot hanging out of his nose. Ew. Yeah. What? His whole gimmick, well, he used to be a football player back in the days, and he's from, he started in the Mid-South region or whatever. Yeah. And he's the guy who holds up two-by-four. And he goes, oh, he's got a beard. Okay. I and have no idea. And he wears the American flag. And goes, USA, tough guy. <laughs> All right. And then he got a snot so he's hanging like, on his nose. Uh, Andy and I saw him at Comedy Zone uh, in the last couple of years. He does stand-up comedy now. He it? just tells wrestling stories. Oh, okay. A lot of those guys do that now. So anyway, All right. uh, now he just signs autographs for people. But he won the first ever Royal Rumble. And it was very exciting for us. And remember, last season, mm-hmm. I would give you the winner of the Royal Rumble each year. Okay. Remember that? Yeah. We were doing that, and we stopped doing that because it hadn't happened yet. But now the Raw Rumble Now started. they're starting. So now the next couple up, ep- the next I can, episode. We can indulge you. Yeah, you get All it. Right. So we have it. So this is the first one. Um, but that's why they haven't been here, and now you know who Pat Patterson is. Right. He invented it. And then Saturday, January 30th, uh, In Excess has the new number one song. And it's not I Need You Tonight because it already happened. Actually, it is I Need oh, You Tonight. Oh, it is. Because okay. it didn't happen. I thought we already talked about it. No, you I need you tonight. Because I'm dun, not sleeping. Yep. Dun. So, I told you that was my first con- my second oh, concert. It was, really? Yeah, my first what? concert was Olivia Newton John. Yeah, right. Oh, that doesn't count. Is <laughs> now when you went to see NXS, how yeah. old were you? Do you know? Fourteen. You were at fourteen? How did you get there? Um, my friend's mom dropped us off. She dropped you off? Yeah. Age fourteen in a concert by yourself? Yeah. Wow. Yep. Now, did you know any other NXS songs except for this one? 
Um, a few of them. They had more than one. I, cause this, they I, had devil inside. Oh. Devil inside. Every single, single one, one of us is the devil, devil inside. Okay. And uh, they had a. a you, remember, you remember who opened for him? I we already had this discussion. Johnny Rotten. I don't remember ever talking about. Yeah, this. Johnny Rotten opened for him. What? Isn't that weird? Really? Mm-hmm. Where did? Where was this at? The Chase? The Keel Auditorium, I think, in St. Louis. Wow. Yep. I, we've never talked about this. Yeah, we did. In the, when we did. No. Yes, we did. Take it back. When we talked about when he died in the nineties, we had the same oh, discussion. Oh, we did. Well, I yes. probably cut it out. Yep. Anyway. You oh, the NXS guy. Out. Yeah, I blocked. <laughs> so trauma, traumatizing. I know. Andrew Andrew Ferris is that the guy who died? Is that the lead singer? No, Michael Hutchinson is the lead singer. Oh. Okay. Uh, well, Andrew Ferris wrote this song apparently, or wrote the, the mm-hmm. music to it. Okay. And he said the famous riff to the song that down down down, and it yeah. appeared suddenly in his head while waiting for a cab to go to the airport to fly to Hong Kong. Okay. He asked the cab driver to wait a couple of minutes while he grabbed something from his motel room. In fact, he went up to record the riff and came back down an hour later with a tape to a very annoyed driver. I guess so. But you can't pause yeah. greatness. Like no. You can't be like, oh, I hope I remember this right. beat later when I get off the plane in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Bam, bam, bam. Yeah. Like he'd have to be doing that the whole time on the plane. Bam, bam, bam. Hey, do you want some peanuts? Oh, hold on a second. All right. Like he'd have to do that forever. So that, I think that I thought that was interesting. I don't. Mm-hmm. I guess you hate that fact, but no, uh, I, I don't. I didn't say I hated well, it. Well, you just threw your glasses at me. Why are you getting so wound <laughs> up? What's happening? <laughs> I don't know. I don't either. Well, you, you told me to keep. You wanted me. You didn't want me to keep doing that. No, I didn't. Now you hate that. Okay. Sunday, January thirty first, nineteen eighty eight. What do you think happened? Probably the stupid Super Bowl. Yes. It was the stupid Super Bowl. It was the. St- well, you're racist for saying this is stupid. What? Because this is the first Super Bowl uh, where an African-American quarterback yeah. started an NFL League championship game, let alone a Super Bowl. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So you're racist no, for I'm saying. No, I'm not. Yep. I'd say they're Doug all stupid. Will- no, Doug Williams. You're racist or it's Doug Williams. You don't want black quarterbacks to succeed because you said oh the Super Bowl. There's something wrong with you. Uh, anyway, we're playing <laughs> Jack Murphy Stadium in San Diego. The Redskins defeated the Broncos forty-two to ten. Okay. This Super Bowl came to the end of the season that was shortened by a player strike again. Each team only missed one regular season game due to the labor dispute, but three games were played mostly with replacement players until mm-hmm. the dispute was settled. Okay. The Broncos were making their second consecutive Super Bowl and third overall appearance after posting a ten and four and one regular season record. You know they had John Elway. He's the reason they were there. John, mm-hmm. You don't care about, you don't I don't like care about any of this. Um, Redskins made their fourth appearance. And do you want to guess who sang the national, national anthem? anthem? What uh, is it a man or a woman? It's a fella. Okay. Um, His first name is Herb. What? His first name is Herb. Herb? Herb. Herbie Hancock is the only. No, it's Herb. It's I not don't Herbie. Know. Okay. I have no idea. Know any other famous herbs? No, nope. sing. Uh, I don't think you're so. gonna feel so stupid. You're Am gonna, I? Herb? You're gonna slap yourself probably in the face. Herb, Herb, Alpert. Herb Alpert. Yeah. I mean, I, I've heard the name. You don't know who Herb Alpert is? No. No. Oh my God. 
This podcast is over. All right. Who is it? This is the last episode of American Timelines. Thank you for listening. Um, it has to end now. Herb who? Alpert is a uh, jazz singer. How much do you think Super Bowl ad was in 1988? Uh, Here, want to do multiple choice I can't this remember. Time? Okay. Okay. $645,000. Mm-hmm. $7 billion. <laughs> or... They paid you to put an ad in the Super Bowl. 645000 Yes. Yeah. Good job. I, I thought you were going to give me some legitimate. Okay, I'll, I'll start over. No, we should <laughs> start over because you already told me what it was. 650000 you, you told me what it was already, honey. We can't do the game again. Maybe I lied. No. <laughs> <laughs> you, we didn't play this game. No, you we forgot. Did. I'm doing the Jedi mind trick. Yeah, just it's not working. Waving my hand. These yeah. aren't the droids you're looking for. Well, 645000 Okay. We just need to switch it up a little bit. Yeah. Monday, February 1st. So I my story is about Dorothea Puente, oh. the landlady from hell. Dorothea Puente yes. is the landlady from hell. Yes. The story is going to span. We're going to learn a little bit, a little bit about Dorothea, Dorothea Puente. Puente. So, and then we're going to find out what she did next episode. So there was this um, vagrant man named Bert Montoya. Okay. Um, Where's this? In in Sacramento, California. Sacramento. And he could often be seen shuffling along the streets, muttering to himself. Oh, like me. Um, yeah. And when he did speak, it was usually in Spanish. Um, and he had spent his nights sleeping in a large shed in Front Street, which had been allocated to the Volunteers of America to be used to house and care for other homeless men. Oh, um, there was one volunteer aid worker named Judy Moyes, and she really was taken with his gentle spirit, and she realized he had no drug or alcohol problems. Um, she went to find some... You know who else mutters to himself, walks around aimlessly? Who? Michael McDonald. All right. Um, she went out to to look for alternate accommodations. Oh, she was trying to help him get a home. Yeah, some some place that he could be cared guy. for because he was he was psychotic. You know, I mean, he was oh. mumbling to himself and he yeah, really he was just kind of out of it. But he yeah. But she, he must have moments of lucidity. Yeah, and somebody some place where his needs could be met. So, um one of the other counselors suggested this boarding house on F Street that was run by a kindly widow who was experienced in the care of the homeless and was adept at dealing with vagaries of the destitute and homeless. So, um Okay, this lady recommended this other place that she knew this old lady yes, was running. right. So on February 1st, 1988, yeah. Judy and a friend arrive at 1426 F Street. Okay, Judy and her friend arrive, not the guy. Right. But a friend, to um, check it out. Yes, so in, okay. um, an elderly woman with white hair and no teeth who introduced herself as Dorothea Puente met them Ooh. at the door. After inviting them inside, she apologized for her appearance, saying she had ordered new dentures that weren't ready. So, but to Judy, she seemed pleasant enough and appeared to run a clean and orderly house. Hmm. Seems seems okay. Seems about bored despite her. That's right. Horrible appearance. After a tour of the dwelling, Puente offered them coffee, and they raised the subject of Bert. Puente oh, was more than happy to accept him and told the women that she was more than capable of ministering to his particular needs as she was also Hispanic, having originally come from Mexico. That's a good match. Did she have other people, too, in this yeah. house? Yes, she did. Okay. So two days later after that, Bert moved in. Bert moved in two days after February 1st. Yep. So, when they were go- so February 1st is the day they went checked it out. Yeah, that's right. That same day that they were checking out the house, mm-hmm. meeting the Toothless Wonder, Mm-hmm. 
Frank's Place uh, was a re- was on TV. Remember that show with Tim Reed? No. From uh, he's he plays Venus Flytrap. I okay. I well, don't remember a well, show. About well, if that, that doesn't okay. ring a bell, MacGyver was on that night. You know the show yeah. MacGyver? Yes. Uh, the episode, you know, your favorite episode, Thin Ice. I don't think I ever really watched MacGyver. No, no, this is your favorite episode when you know no, when MacGyver no. returns to Minnesota to help his old hockey coach. I don't even know if I've ever seen one episode of MacGyver. Except for this one, your favorite. No. Mm-mm. No, I, I I was gonna no. for your birthday, I was gonna make you a cake with this episode, this episode on it. On it. Where right. MacGyver returns to Minnesota to help his old hockey coach take his high school team to the state championship. Um but the toughest part is dealing with the violent temper of their star player. But also the biggest thing that happened while they were checking out her house, Honky Tonk Man defeated Ricky the Dragon Steamboat in a lumberjack match. Okay. And to keep the Intercontinental title, but Ricky Steamboat Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, whose daughter-in-law uh, and son live here in Waxhaw. Right. You've told me that. Yeah. Uh, so we're like one, basically we're related to him. Um, Jimmy Hart distracted the ref because Ricky the Dragon Steamboat is a badass. Mm-hmm. He, did the, he did the flying forearm off the top rope. Okay. Knocked Honky Tonk Man out, but Jimmy Hart distracted the referee. Okay. And the lumberjacks outside were pissed. And so. Who's the lumberjacks outside? Remember I told you the lumberjack match? We talked about this uh, earlier. I remember episode. hearing what it is, but it's just a bunch of wrestlers outside. They call that them went, lumberjacks so, too. Yeah. So when somebody falls out of the ring, the other wrestlers throw them back and they punch okay. them and throw you them back. You didn't tell in. me that part. Yeah, and you were like, "What does it have to do with lumberjacks?" It really doesn't. They just call them lumberjacks. Yeah. That's a lumberjack match. Okay. But all the other wrestlers were pissed. Like, oh damn it! What yeah. the hell? And so, and then the referee turned and looked, or while the referee was distracted, he threw his megaphone that Jimmy Hart used. Mm-hmm. And uh, Honky Tonk Man hit Ricky Steamboat with the megaphone and knocked him out. Okay. And then the referee suddenly looked again, and then he pinned him. And then so, and then it became <laughs> total. It became total pandemonium because all the good guy wrestlers were in there yelling about it. Yeah. At one point, George Animal Steel ran in and counted three when Ricky had Honky Tonk Man down, uh, but it didn't count because he's not a ref. And then all the other wrestlers started fighting. <laughs> so dumb. The good guys started fighting the bad guys. It was total pandemonium. Okay. So that that was probably on TV yeah. while they were looking at her house and decided be. that Frank could live there. That's true. Yeah. So Bert. Bert could live there. <laughs> Who's Frank? I don't think there oh, is one. Bert. <laughs> Bert could live there. Well, that was Monday that Bert, they found a place for Bert. Yep. And Bert moved in on the third then, right? Yes. Two days later? That's right. And then on sat- the Saturday after Bert moved in, mm-hmm. Tiffany took over the number one spot on the Billboard charts with Could Have Been. Oh, yes. Yeah, could have been so beautiful. Could have been so right. Could have been my lover on a cold and lonely night. Oh, all right. Um, The song was heard in the television series Growing Pains on the episode Nasty Habits. Okay. Since you're a big Growing Pains fan, you're always talking about it in our vows. Um, Tuesday, February 16th, 1988. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with Jimmy Swaggart? Yes. Um. So he yeah busted yeah. This is his Jimmy Swagger. You know how about he got exposed? Let's say who he was first, just in case somebody doesn't know. Jimmy Swagger. Mm-hmm. Do you want to take? He this? was a tele- he was a televangelist. A televangelist that built people, old, usually elderly people, out of millions of dollars. Yeah, millions. He still is. You know, he's still active. I think. Oh, he is still around. Yeah. Well, and they were really bad in the eighties. Yeah. It seems like there was more there of was them. There was a lot of these. And they were more they were more in your face. Well, didn't we Oh, it was Jerry Falwell that took over for uh the PTL. But Jimmy Swaggart, 
Uh, yeah, same, another one of these guys that yep. his big thing in the 80s was that he, he got busted with hookers was Jimmy Swagger's That's right. thing. And so his exposure came, and I didn't know a lot of that. I looked at a lot of this up for 88. Yeah. His exposure came as a retaliation for an incident in 1986 when Swagger exposed fellow Assemblies of God minister Marvin Gorman. Have you ever heard of this? No. So he exposed a fellow Assemblies of God minister Marvin Gorman mm-hmm. who had been accused of having several affairs. Oh. So once exposed, Gorman was defrocked from the Assemblies of God. Have you heard of that term, defrocked? Yeah. Uh, his ministry all but ended. And so as a retaliatory retaliatory move, yeah. Gorman hired his son Randy, Randy Gorman, and his son-in-law, Garland Bilbo. <laughs> Garland Bilbo? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Garland Bilbo. That's a real name. Aye, Garland aye. Bilbo. Uh, what was the name that I loved so much that one year that I was out? Uh, remember that guy's name I just kept... I love saying over and yeah, over. Yeah, I can't remember anyway, who it was. Garland Bilbo to stake out the travel in on Airline Highway in Baton Rouge. A camera with a telephoto lens was placed in the window of the motel's room twelve mm-hmm. and was draped with a Man. black a black cloth. When Swaggart arrived, he reportedly went into room seven. Mm-hmm. Gorman and Bilbo let the air out of the tires on Swaggart's vehicle. Mm-hmm. Then they called Marvin Gorman, whose church was located nearby. Randy Gorman and Garland Bilbo had taken photos of Swaggart outside room seven with Deborah Murphy, a local prostitute. Sweet. Gorman arrived at the travel inn a short while later and asked Swaggart, hey, what are you doing? What you doing? Mm. According to Swaggart, the unauthorized biography of an American evangelist by Ann Rowe Seaman. Seaman? Seaman. <laughs> oh my God, these names. <laughs> Gorman secured a promise from Swaggart that he would publicly apologize to Gorman and start the process of Gorman's reinstatement to the Assemblies of God. So he tried to blackmail him. Yep. Gorman offered to remain silent if Swaggart would state publicly that he lied about Gorman's affairs. Gorman waited almost a year, then hand-delivered a note to Swaggart, informing him his time was up. Yep. Swaggart did not respond. So Gorman and went here public. On, and then on February 16th, 1988, Gorman contacted James Hamill, one of the 13-man executive presbytery of the Assemblies of God, who called Raymond Carlson the Assemblies of Superintendent. Carlson summoned Hamill and Gorman to fly to Assemblies of God headquarters in Springfield, Missouri, and arranged for an emergency meeting of the presbyters. Mm-hmm. He was shown photos of several men coming in, in and going out of Room 7 of the Travel Inn Motel mm-hmm. in New Orleans. This was done to establish the fact that the room was being used for prostitution. Mm-hmm. One of the men seen leaving room seven was Swaggart. The Presbyterian so they had leadership. several men? Yeah, apparently other people just to show that, look, this is, this for, is, prostitution. This is for prostitution. Yeah. Oh, I see. And then one of the guys is Swaggart, just to say that. So he's is, showing this to them? Yep. Okay. And the leadership of the Assemblies of God decided that Swaggart should be suspended from broadcasting his television program for three months. This is all according to Wikipedia, so it gives yeah. real lies. But according to the Associated Press, Murphy, who claimed to have posed nude for Swaggart, failed a polygraph test administered by a New York City Police Department polygraph expert. Mm-hmm. The test administrator concluded that Murphy had failed to tell the truth on all key questions concerning her statement. The test was administered after Murphy Murphy offered to sell the story to the National Enquirer for one hundred thousand dollars. So what's the... Paul Levy, senior editor for the Inquirer, stated that the polygraph examiner had concluded Murphy was not truthful on six key questions, including one in which she was reportedly asked if she had fabricated the story. Levy stated that the Inquirer decided not to print her story due to the test results, her drug use, and the fact that she had arrest warrants in three states. 
Murphy failed questions about whether she was paid or promised money to set up Swaggart and whether she made up the story to make money from it. So why did she take a polygraph test? Both times she answered no. According to the polygraph examiner, her answers were untrue. Uh, to see if she was lying about him. The PTL, the, the leaders of the church did that? The New York City Police Department. Oh, so so they were the the this law that they the were the law that they were concerned with was blackmail because prostitution, I, I guess. Well, but I don't. I didn't think it was a legal issue. I thought it was more of a just a scandal. You know what I'm saying? I don't think they would. Just minister after she offered to sell the story to the National Enquirer. So, oh, so probably the National Enquirer probably asked her to do it. Okay, that makes more a sense. Story, I guess. I don't know, uh, but there's more, so there. There's more dates that come. This swagger story. Continues. Okay. Okay. But on Sunday, February twentieth, mm-hmm. after that swagger story has dripped out, expose has the new number one. Oh, song I don't remember. Chart. I don't remember. It. Seasons change, people change. I can't. The way you sing, your singing is so off key. I, no, it's okay. I okay. cannot. La, 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 la. I haven't warmed up. I, like nobody's, nobody's like playing a. Tune, I'm not a saying. Note. I'm not Could you saying play a note that. To match first. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying Seasons I can't change. tell what the song is. People change. I put my arms around you. I said, "People Nope. Seasons no idea. Change. No idea what that song is. You know what? Our lives don't hinge on the fact I'm you uh, knowing a song. What? I mean, I mean nothing. We get nothing out of you recognizing it, do we? No. But yet, I'm gonna hear, sit here, and you're gonna make, you're gonna play it. <laughs> it's approved to me that I know it or something. Yeah, you definitely know the song. It's not good. They were a Latina band. Expose. American Latin Freestyle Vocal Group. Yeah, I don't remember anything else they sang. Okay, that's enough of it. It's a bad song. It's a terrible song. But, but it, that it sounds like the background from a movie. Like It doesn't yeah. sound like a song that was on the radio on its well, own. Well, that's so terrible, but that's the eighth most successful girl group of all time. Yeah, that's sad. Sunday, February 21st, 1988, Jimmy Swaggart's Confession and Defrocking. Yep. Without giving any details regarding his transgression, Swaggart gave his now tearful, infamous I have sinned speech. He tearfully, yep, just like he said, spoke to his family, yep. congregation, TV audience, and finally said, I have sinned against you, my Lord, and I would ask that your precious blood would wash and cleanse every stain until it is in the seas of God's forgetfulness, not to be remembered against me anymore. The Louisiana Presbytery of the Assemblies of God initially suspended Swaggart, from the ministry for three months, the National Presbytery of the Assemblies of God soon extended the, susp- the suspension to their standard two-year suspension for sexual immorality. Mm-hmm. His return to the pulpit coincided with the end of a three-month suspension originally ordered by the Assemblies, believing that Swagger was not genuinely, genuinely repentant in submitting to their authority. The hierarchy of the Assemblies of God immediately defrocked him, mm-hmm. removing his credentials and ministerial license. Swaggart then became an independent, non-denominational Pentecostal minister, establishing Jimmy Swaggart Ministries based in the Family Worship Center in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and the Sun Life Broadcasting Network. I can't believe people still followed him after that. Can be seen in the U.S. as well as any other countries across the world. Can you believe people still follow him after all that? Yeah. 
I mean, that's it's insane. Yeah. Well, people they'll buy anything. They'll yeah. anything they want. They want to believe, and a they need easy to answer or something. I mean, much the way I follow Randy Macho Man Savage. That's true. Yep. Even if he knocks Elizabeth down, I just like yeah, I I let that go because I I he's the Macho Man. Mm-hmm. He's what up, Mach? That's right. Does that make sense for you now? Kind of. Okay. Sunday, February 27, 1988, George Michael takes over the Billboard charts again. No. Another song off that same Faith album. Of the Faith album. I don't know. I can't. I will be your father figure. Put I'll your tiny hand in mine. I will be your preacher teacher. I have had enough, enough of crying. I will be your father figure. I will be the one who loves you to the end of time. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a great song. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. I gotta say. Yeah. I didn't like it at the time, but I admit now that it's good. Yeah, that's a good one. I will be young. But don't you think, in hindsight, like this is obviously one of those gay relationships where it's an older older <laughs> gay man and a younger gay Every man. Every time we talk about George Michael, we have to talk about it. Well, <laughs> it's how he's gay. Well, the video is him and a young model, you know, yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, but, but, you know, we talk about how, like, it's a common, in the gay community, there's, like, it's your daddy kind of mm-hmm. thing. Like, you're an older gay guy and a younger gay guy will be together, like, be like a dad thing, yeah, kind of thing. Could be. So maybe that's what that means. Was George Michael gay, you think? <laughs> Wednesday, March 2nd, 1988, the 30th annual Grammy Awards were held yes. at Radio City Music Hall in New York City. Okay. The Grammy Awards recognized accomplishments by musicians from the previous year. Album of the Year went to U2 for the Joshua Tree. Yes. Song of the Year went to Barry Mann, Cynthia Weil, and James Horner for Somewhere Out There. Ugh. This is an awful song. That's from a Disney movie. Out there, yeah. Isn't that like a one with mice or something? Aladdin or something? No, uh, something with normal. Was it normal? No. A mouse. Mm -mm. I feel like I had to sing this in a choir too. Ugh, is that a bad one? Well, and then Saturday, March twelfth, nineteen eighty-eight, Rick Astley. Oh, never gonna give you up. Never gonna let you down. Never gonna come around you. You know what Rick Rolling is? Yeah. You do? Yeah. What is Rick Rolling? It's sending somebody a link, I think, and then they <laughs> click on it, and it's him singing that song. <laughs> it's him. Like, like, but first you send somebody a link, making them think it's something, it's something else, else. And then it's him yeah. singing that yeah. song. Yeah. You've been Rick Rolled. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of what you really wanted, it's <laughs> Rick Astley singing this song. Yeah. It's Rick, pretty funny. Rick Rolling is a great, maybe the greatest phenomenon that's ever gone crazy. I don't know who started that. I don't know, but one of, the, genius. one of the greatest Rick Rolls ever is uh, Goatsy. Uh, Go- oh my God. There's a Goatsy out there somewhere where <laughs> inside Goatsy's Goatsiness is Rick Astley going, no, I'm going to get you. Oh God. A, that video is inside the guy's butt. Oh my God. Uh, you know what Goatsy is, right? Okay, I so do. If you're listening to this and you don't know what Goatsy is, don't Google you it. don't want to know. Don't like, Google just, it. You're better off just not knowing no. this joke. It's, no. It's so disgusting. And I regret knowing myself. And I only knew because I heard somebody talking about it. I, what is this? So I, I looked You had it up. to look it up. Do not look it up at work. Do not look up Goatsy at work. It's the worst thing just ever. Just don't look it up at all. Just don't even look it up. It's not even worth knowing what that is. It's like lemonparty.org. There's no I don't know what that is either. No either one of those. There's How no, many of these do you know? Well, those two and Tub Girl. But yeah. <laughs> those three don't need to exist. Yeah. Yeah. 
and I'm of course I'm just perpetuating it by mentioning them here. Yes, you are. But um, if there's children listening, talk to your parents immediately and tell them. You ask them what goatsy is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't, yeah, ask them what goatsy and lemon party and tub girl. Yeah, ask are. them what tub girl is. Yeah, uh, I w- lemon party is just as bad. Uh, well, mm. no, it's not. Maybe it is. I don't know. No. Uh, now I anyway. want to know what that one is. Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard of it. Don't look at it at work. No, I want, I'm just going to have you tell me. I will tell you. Lemon Party. Uh, Jessica McCartney, actually, I'll give her a shout out. She is responsible for me knowing what Lemon she's, Party is. She's she, a star. She told me to look up LemonParty.org once, like years ago. Oh, my God. And I thought it was going to be like a joke routine, yeah. there, but it was like one of those, just like everything else, like, ah, ah, what the is uh, Yeah, so... Uh, Anyway, <laughs> rolling. Never gonna kill you. Uh, Tuesday, March fifteenth, nineteen eighty-eight. Actor Jimmy Stewart made a plea in congressional hearings against Ted Turner's decision to colorize classic black and white films, including *It's a Wonderful yeah. Life*, stating it's morally and artistically wrong, and these profiteers should leave our film industry alone. I think that's right. That's a terrible Jimmy Stewart. It is an awful Jimmy Stewart. Uh, Jimmy Stewart. Leave it alone. Leave no. These profiteers need to leave our industry alone. Is that G- better? I'd give up if I were you. Uh, Dang it. I, really I can do Jimmy Stewart. He's really bad. Um, but he wasn't the only one. There were some other old actors old and stuff Fox that, that came out. pissed off about <laughs> yep. it. Um, it just PO'd. Yep. There you go. That's that. I don't know whatever came out of that, though. I didn't write the decision down. Nope. Well, and then on uh, Friday, March 18th, or that same week, mm-hmm. um, Are You Ready for Freddy? It was a single by the Fat Boys. Mm-hmm. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready for Freddy? It was from the album Coming Back Hard Again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I will, I'm not, I'm not going to be shy here. Okay. Coming Back Hard Again yeah. is the greatest album in American <laughs> history. And it's by, by the, the Fat Boys. Fat, <laughs> by the Fat Boys. Every single song on that album is great. Uh, you take all of the Beatles albums combined and compare it to Jeez. Coming Back Hard Again in 1988 by the Fat Boys. Yeah. And the Fat Boys win hands down. Oh, my Lord. You ask any music expert and they will agree. Mm-hmm. Or they should agree. Um, you know, uh, Cool okay. Rock is okay. the right. John Lennon. We're moving on. <laughs> rap. Uh, Prince Marky D, Cool Rock, and Rest in Peace, Buffy, the Power Lord, Human Beatbox. Okay. Uh, but anyway, so this is significant because there were two songs this year that mm-hmm. came out that were Nightmare on Elm Street mm-hmm. songs. Okay. One of them was official, and f- and the guy who plays Freddy Krueger was actually in it, and the other one, yep. the rap group got sued for doing it. This one... Is the, one the that Fat gets, Boys. The one that got The seen. other one is Fresh Prince and Jazzy Jeff. Oh. Called Nightmare on My Street. I remember that song. You remember that song? Yeah. Which one yep. out of the two yeah. do you think got sued? The Fat Boys? No. Oh. Fresh Prince and Jazzy Jeff got sued, and that wasn't really Freddie. This one. Oh, was actually Freddie. Robert England actually was on it. Uh, he actually rapped on it. Okay. Fred Krueger is the name. Fred, Fred Krueger. Freddy Krueger raps on Fred it. Fred Krueger don't need no fingernail file. Yeah, he says, uh, it's time for Freddy. See, I'm a popular guy. If you don't know yet, you're going to find out why. All right, that's awful. In the movies, I thrill, but on the mic, I rhyme. 
So you memorized that right. song, right. huh? I know the whole, yeah, I know the whole song. Jeez. It's 3 a.m. and Freddy's here, the supreme dream maker, the master of fear. See, I'm staying away from the dog. All right, can we go? Nancy's father was a cop. Nah, that's enough. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, the Fat Boys are the greatest ever. That album also has Jelly Roll on it. Mm -hmm. And one time, when Twitter was early, I tweeted to Prince Marky e. D. Yeah. And he answered me. Oh. And Buff is dead. Yeah. At the beginning of Jelly Roll, Buffy, mm -hmm. the human beatbox goes, Okay. No idea what he's saying, really. Mm -hmm. So, and my brother and I played that over and over in slow motion and everything, trying to figure yeah. out what the hell he's saying. I tweeted to Prince Marky D, and I was like, hey, what the hell does Buff say at the beginning of Jelly Roll? Yeah. And he answered me. Okay. And I was like, oh my God, I'm finally going to find out. And he said, I have no fucking idea. Oh my God. I was so like, what the hell? And he guessed. He said, oh, maybe he's saying this. And I actually rec recorded myself listening to it saying, that's not what he said. He didn't say that. Yeah. And sent it back to him. He just wrote LOL back to me. Okay. Well, so I got in touch with the fat touching boys. Touching the stars. Even the fat boys don't know what that is. Anyway. So he was just gibberish. Anybody who wants to know anything about music, go find Coming Back Hard Again. That's the best album. It's got um, Louie Louie. They redid Louie Louie and they redid The Twist. I remember those. Yeah, the rap versions. The fat boys were geniuses. All right. What God, else? They were so great. <laughs> they were fat. What's next? Saturday, March 26, 1988. Michael Jackson takes over the Billboard charts number one. Man in the Mirror? Man in the Mirror. Whoa, oh, how'd you get that? I saw your mouth start going, M. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's the only way. <laughs> no, uh, I, I, was, I was thinking that one, though, and then you did that, and I knew it. Now, I've established this on a previous episode that... Anytime the song is on, I turn it up all the way. Yes. And I take my shirt off in my right. Prius. That's right. But I can't recall why we would have talked about this if it didn't hit the Billboard charts until 1988. Maybe in 19... We mentioned the 90s. Something must have happened with yeah. this song in the 90s. Mm, Maybe we talked remember. about when Michael Jackson died or something. Or no, be. he didn't die in the 90s, though. Oh, that's right. I don't something know. Something happened. I made us talk about this, but I don't know why. Anyway. I don't remember. This... Is a deceptively awesome song. Like at first, you think it's just gonna be some crappy slow yeah. ballad, but it kicks ass. You think God so? God dang it! I love Man in the Mirror. I will listen to Man in the Mirror every day. I don't know if day. it kicks ass that I'm much. With Shamon, Man in the Mirror. I know how it goes. Ass. But then it like it gets real good. No, I I don't I don't agree with you. Make that change. I think it's. I think it's okay. Today, today, All right. come on. How's oh, the great? I'm sorry. We're at Sunday, March 27th. Something major happened on March 27th. Okay, what was it? WrestleMania four. Oh Jesus! What's <laughs> the fourth annual WrestleMania pay-per-view event by the WWF? And this, I'm sorry, this is the biggest one and the greatest one in my opinion. Mm -hmm. A lot of people say this wasn't good mm -hmm. because this year. Hulk Hogan decided he was going to start concentrating on movies and take a break for a while. Mm -hmm. So they needed a new champion. <sighs> so they did this whole angle where Andre the Giant uh, s somehow won the belt mm -hmm. from Hogan. He cheated or whatever, and he gave it to Ted DiBiase, the million-dollar man who couldn't win it himself. So he Andre the Giant just gave it to him. So here you go. You're the champion now. And the president, Jack Tony, said, that's not – you can't do that. Mm. So guess what? It's vacant, and we have to have a tournament to def 
decide who the next champion is. And WWF, so stupid. knowing Hulk Hogan's leaving, they had to be like, who are we going to put it on? Who can who can take that spot? Yeah. Who can take that number one spot? Who is awesome enough and has enough power and is great enough? Who do you think it could be, honey? Macho Man. Macho Man Randy Savage. That's right. He defeated four wrestlers. He defeated the one-man gang. He defeated Ted DiBiase. Okay. Actually, I think he had a bye at some point. Uh, he fight, defeated... Uh, uh, the natural Butch Reed, I believe, to win. Bob Uecker, Vanna White, Robin Leach, and Gladys Knight were all there. Um, I thought you were saying he defeated Bob no, He didn't defeat those guys. It was in Atlantic City, New Jersey. There was a 20-man battle royal won by Bad News Brown. Uh, and uh, there was all kinds of other stuff. But the main thing was the tournament. And Randy Savage won. Hulk Hogan, of course, had to help him, uh, you know, by... Yeah, you know, helping the bad, you know, helping the good guy because there was a lot of bad guys ganging up on him and he yeah. helped out, and so and this is when the mega powers formed. Hulk Hogan and Macho Man were friends and buddies. Okay, uh, yeah. So Randy Savage was the top. Yep. And this was the first pay per view I ever saw live because I was so into wrestling. All my friends were in middle school. We loved wrestling. It was a big deal. And my dad actually bought this pay per view for me. And you went. No, no, on TV. He oh, bought it on I TV. I you were saying you saw it live. You oh, said saw God, it live. No, in Atlantic City? No. No, but we couldn't afford to ever see pay-per-views. Like, pay-per-views yeah. was like, that's $30. We're not buying that. Oh, what the hell? Right. Somehow, Andy and I convinced my dad to get it for us. And so we're at his yeah. apartment. I'll never forget it. We watched the whole thing in his living room. And we were couldn't believe that he let us do that. Yeah. And he, he had to, like, order a box. I can't remember. It was something, like, something special you had to get from the cable company and install oh, it and geez. all this stuff. What a production. Yeah, it was. And uh, But we loved it. And we're so thrilled and excited. And it was the best thing ever. And, and Randy was Savage, was my favorite guy, won it. So it was great. And in the hallways of my middle school, everybody around that time when he won, you could just hear people in the hallways going, oh, the way, yeah, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like he won the whole thing. Yep. So okay. Boom. And then on March 30th, mm-hmm. Wednesday, March 30th, uh movie came out. Okay. <laughs> what was it? Beetlejuice. Oh, I love that movie. One of your favorites. That's a good one. Now, it's not in the top five, but I included it because I knew you love Beetlejuice I so do much. Love Beetlejuice. Did you know that when Adam and Barbara are in the office, do you know who yeah. this is? Yeah. I don't know. The, the medical office with the shrunken head sitting next to her. A, a voice on the PA system announces. Yep. Flight 409 is arriving at gate three. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Yeah. You remember that hearing that? Yeah. United Airlines flight 409 crashed into a mountain in Wyoming on October 6, 1955, killing all passengers and crew aboard. Oh. At the time, it was one of the worst plane crashes in history. To this day, nobody knows why it crashed. So they, they were paying homage they to were kind it? Of, yeah, paying homage to that, kind of like a... Yeah. Murderer. And also, Tim Burton originally wanted... Somebody else to play Beetlejuice. Who? You want to make a guess at all? John Travolta. Nope. Sammy Davis Jr. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sammy Davis Jr. Tim Burton wanted. First of that. all, he was an old man. I know. Tim Burton wanted that, and everybody else was like, "No fucking way." What's wrong with him? Yeah, and a lot of people turned down the script too because they were like, "This is the weirdest fucking script we've yeah. ever read." Was it Tim Burton's only his second movie or something? Right? I don't know. Wasn't his first movie uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure? Didn't we say that was his debut? Was that Tim Burton? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he, um, I guess Beetlejuice originally, the way it was written, was supposed to be a horror movie. Oh, okay. And there was like rape and all kinds of stuff, and oh, Beetlejuice geez. was a lot worse. And they, as they rewrote it, it just got funnier and funnier and goofier. And yeah. Stuff, so, yeah. It's a great movie. 
I wish Sammy Davis Jr. played Beetlejuice, though. That's hor- that would be horrible. Beetlejuice, baby. Yeah. Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice, baby. <laughs> I can't imagine. Now he's got all the jewelry shoved up his ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. He had all the jewelry shoved up his ass. Yep. And his grandmother's still alive. Yeah. Now we're to Thursday, January 31st, babe. Brendan Kane's birthday. March 31st, not January. That's the January. Thursday, March 31st, 1988. Brendan Kane's 71st birthday. <laughs> Back to Bert in. Um, Back to Bert, who moved in with. What was her name? An elderly woman with white hair and no teeth. What was her name again? Dorothea Puente. Dorothea Puente. So within weeks, his um, general condition and his demeanor improved markedly. All those weeks of all the stuff we've been talking about was happening in the meantime. Right. His hair was washed and combed, his nails clean, and his clothes were spotless. Oh, good. That's be- a good story. The end. Under <laughs> the end. <laughs> that must be it. Under Puente's supervision, he began to take better care of himself and even resumed taking his antipsychotic medication. Oh, good. Um, so to Judy, the social worker, it seemed like this woman had a heart of gold. Less muttering. Not only had she accepted Bert into her house and cared for him, she provided for, for him out of her own pocket for weeks until his social security payments oh, came. Oh, okay. Through. Yeah. Um, she often went out, and on occasion she took Bert with her, so no one was surprised when on Thursday, March 31st, she took him downtown. They went to the Social Security Administration building. Um, after waiting her turn, she patiently explained that she was there on behalf of him, Mr. Montoya, who was mentally, she said, was mentally retarded and as such incapable of handling his own finances. But I want to get home, so we got to get through this, because i got to get home tonight to watch the days and nights of Molly Dodd. Okay. Um, she... Um, said he was incapable of managing his own finances and wished her to be made payee for his benefits. Right. Accepting her request as being quite reasonable, the staff member gave her a form and she listed herself as Bert's cousin. His um, mental disability was later confirmed by his psychiatrist as being a psychosis, which makes him non-participative in society and withdrawn, needing someone to watch out for him. Participative? Yeah. Participative or participative? Participative. That's what I think. Participative. Before long, um, Puente's application was approved and she became the recipient for $637 of Bert Montoya's benefits each month, more than enough to take good care of him. Now, I don't want to split hairs here, but she's not his cousin, right? You're right. But she claims she's his cousin. So, I'm so a red flag is going off for me. Yeah. So I am going to um, take a sidetrack here. And oh, sidetrack? Yep. And talk I wasn't about expecting who, this. who uh, Dorothea Puente. Before we do that, let me just tell you. Was. That same night after going to the Social Security office, mm-hmm. uh, she needed to get home to watch the days and nights of Molly Dodd. Remember mm-hmm. that show? Mm-hmm. Um, but more importantly... Uh, Cheers, a very special episode of Cheers was on. It's called Bar Wars. Okay. I don't know if you know, there were several different episodes where the Cheers gang uh, were in a rivalry oh, with Gary's Old Town the Tavern. Up- the upstairs place? No. Or? It, was a, it was another bar down the oh, street. Oh, it was. Okay. Gary's Old Town Tavern. Yep. I think I do remember this. Anyway, episode. they're going back and forth in the prank, and Wade Boggs shows up okay. into the bar, mm-hmm. and they say, well, Gary sent me here to sign autographs, and they're like... That's bullshit. That's not really Wade Boggs. Oh. And they treat him like shit and kick him out of the bar and chase him out. Mm-hmm. Turns out it really, really was him. Wade Boggs. That was a joke. At the end, the old man, remember the really old guy that was at the bar and every once in a while he'd say a line? I think Al so. Al Rosen. Yeah. So he ends the episode saying, pretty weenie. Like one episode, he just starts going, Sinatra. They're like, who's the king of the world? Sinatra. No, he's more than that. Sinatra. Like he would just say funny lines. Oh, okay. That guy yeah. was also in the Three Stooges. He, he played Curly's stunt double. 
Oh, wow. A couple of times in the Three Stooges. That's how old That's he how, is. Yeah. Uh, so that was on that same night. Okay. So let's go let's into go. a let's little bit. Let's go into of, this. Okay. So Dor- Dorothea Helen Gray was born January 9th, 1929 in uh, California. Her parents were both drunks and spent what little money her father earned as a cotton picker on cheap booze. Oh, man. From an early age, she was abused by her parents and often had to scrounge for food. When she was four, her father died. Hmm. By the time she was six, her mother was dead and also... Also, and Dorothea was sent to an orphanage where she stayed until she was taken in by relatives in Fresno, California. So Fresno? Nobody goes to Fresno anymore. Well, it was said that robbed of her normal childhood, she later created one for herself, telling anyone who would listen that she was one of 18 children who had been born and raised in Mexico. Oh, so she made up this whole backstory. Yeah. In 1946, she married for the first time, but was widowed two years later when her husband died of a heart attack. Or so she said. Alone and in desperate need of money, she tried forging checks. Eventually, she was caught and sent to jail for a year, but was paroled after six months. Soon after her relative, soon after her release, she fell pregnant to a man she hardly knew and gave birth to a baby girl, which she gave up for adoption. Oh, man, but she had sex. In 1952, she married a Swedish man named Axel Johansson. I'm Axel Johansson. You want to get married? (laughs) So he was very tough, and they um, had all these violent fights all the oh, time fuck you, lady. um so she started developing this toughness of her own from from living with all of this the swedish guy mm-hmm. in 1960 she was arrested in a brothel she claimed she wait, was wait, wait. Is the swedish guy gone at this point no did he say mm, bork 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 ever i don't he probably did okay so in 1960 she was arrested in a brothel she claimed she was just visiting a friend but was given 90 days in sacramento county jail for that she was working at the brothel. For, following her release, she hit the streets and was picked up shortly after for vagrancy and given a further 90 days. So she, in her mind, she's like, I know where Bert's been. I've been through all this. Yeah. Although Maybe. still married to Johansson, he was not prepared to support her, so she work, attempted work. to defend for herself. Um, she became involved in various illegal activities that gradually became more serious. Um, but then she found work as a nurse's aide, caring for disabled and elderly in private homes. And so then soon after that, she began managing boarding houses. In 1966, she divorced Johansson and married Robert Puente in Mexico City. So this marriage was doomed from the start because he was 19 years younger than her. Just a kid. And he and he wasn't he had trouble staying faithful. Um, Banging everybody. So he was basically Rico Suave. Pretty much. Just before the end of the marriage, two years later, she went on the biggest project of her career she embarked on when she took control of a three-story, 16-bedroom home at 2100 F Street. 16 bedrooms? Yeah. Boom. And so, built at the turn of the century, the house became a thriving business where Puente provided the best care to the homeless and destitute. Although ruling her domain with a firm hand, she proved to be the consummate hostess often throwing open her doors at Easter and Christmas to lavishly entertain not only the poor and homeless, but also the social workers of the district whose endorsements would ensure her success. While giving the outward appearance of providing the best care to her charges, she was also involved in some mysterious activities. With the assistance... Like a crystal ball or something? We'll we'll see. With the assistance of a man known only as Chief, a a homeless drunk she adopted and appointed as her handyman. That's Chief over here. Which sounds like one flew over the cuckoo's nest, doesn't it? That's a crazy Um, thing. She made many unusual changes around the house. She had him dig in the basement and cart away soil and rubbish in a wheelbarrow. You can tell that it was copy and paste a a little bit. Wheelbarrow. Nobody calls it rubbish in this country. I do. Um, Later, it was covered with a concrete floor. 
And then she also, a garage in the backyard was pulled down, followed by more digging before another concrete patio slab took its place. Then not long after that, Chief disappeared without a trace. So people are being buried. And Chief's doing all of it no, until he, he's no, gone? He was digging, no, he was just digging the holes for her. And then he probably filled one of those holes. Could be. In 1976, she married for the third time, but again, her choice for the partner was less than desirable. This was Pedro Montalvo. Um, no, no, no. He was well, let's not just judge Pedro right from the physically beginning. Physically abusive. Oh, okay. And al- alcoholic. Let's judge Pedro. Um, yeah. She then she um, couldn't control him, so she turned her attention to her tenants. Although she provided them with the most basic of care, they were content. Within months, Montalvo was gone, and she consoled herself by spending time in bars looking for male company. She preferred older men, probably those who were receiving benefits. Sounds like you. What? Wait a minute. They in turn were attracted to her. Snappy clothes and warm, caring manner. Snappy clothes? Yeah. Oh, this is the first I've heard of the snappy clothes. Yeah, she I mean, had some snappy clothes I mean, back in. This is 70, 76. So. so she's got like jumpsuits? Yep. yep. Or like, what other seven? Like bell bottoms? Probably. So um, her system was that she would win her victims over with her charms, steal their benefit check, and cash them by forging their signatures. Boom. And the plan worked well, but eventually she was caught and charged with 34 counts of treasury fraud. 34? Yep. Her her arrest, instead of curtailing her plans, was just a brief interruption, and she continued to ply her trade while still on probation. Huh. It was at this point that things started strange started to occur at the boarding house. In April 1982, a new tenant arrived. Ruth Monroe was 61 when she moved in and was instantly overwhelmed by Puente's na- caring nature. 17 days later, she was dead from an overdose of codeine and Tylenol. Oh, Puente explained yeah. to the detectives that Ruth had been deeply depressed over her terminally ill husband, and the police accepted her story and determined Ruth had taken her own life. Weeks oh, later... I don't buy it. Poor no. Ruth. Weeks later, they were back, following up on allegations that Puente had been drugging men she met in bars and robbing them. So she's a regular Bill Cosby. So she is drugging dudes, and then... Yep. She didn't even care about their wiener. She's One of the guys was the 74-year-old man named Malcolm McKenzie, and he told police he met her at this bar called the Zebra Club, they had several drinks together, where, and then he invited her back to his apartment. And then um, when he got there, though, he got dizzy, and although he was conscious, was unable to move. He How could far? only sit and watch as Puente searched the house for valuables, taking his rare penny collection and so, a diamond ring she forcefully oh, removed from so his finger. So he can see her doing all yes. this, but he can't do anything yep. because of the drugs? Yeah. Oh, now, I, wish, I bet he wishes, instead of going to the Zebra Club, mm-hmm. dang, I should have just went to the Regal Beagle and hung yeah. out with Larry Dallas. Okay. In August 18th, <laughs> you know 1982. What, what? In August 18th, 1982, she went before the courts and was convicted on three charges of theft and sentenced to five years of Im- imprisonment. Boom. In a surprising decision, however, the judge refused to take into account other similar charges that had been made against her and that um, saved her from a much longer jail term. She was um, no stranger to prison and quickly adapted herself to the regimen of Sacramento County. She was a talker who. So const- she's not running that 16 bed facility not, she's in prison right now yeah but she would all um always talk to the other inmates with stories about her life and um so, she she on one occasion broke the unspoken rule of life inside by telling a guard who was responsible for an attack on a fellow prisoner and that earned her a savage beating in jail she got beat by another woman because he snitched yeah. yep as a result she was transferred to protective custody now if you had to compare her to one character in orange is the new black who would it be I guess red. I don't know. She's older than that, but so she's an older gal. Is she yeah. a cook. 
No, I don't know. What about like... Uh, so, well, well, then when she's in this new accommodation, she gets this letter. Because she's in protective custody. So it's yeah. just her and probably one other nonviolent yeah. kind of person. Right. So this letter was sent by a seven, 77-year-old retiree named Everson Gilmouth. <laughs> Ellison <laughs> Gilmouth. He um, would write letters to women in prison, and he also was, those guys that do that too. Yeah, huh? he was given her name, and he began corresponding with her on a regular basis from his home in Oregon. She responded in kind, and an intimate relationship soon developed. For Puente, Everson Gilmouth was more than a kind words and heartfelt emotions. He was her ticket out of the cloistered world she'd built for herself. So, um, and then he became completely enamored by her. So when she was released in September 1985, after just three years in prison, he was there to meet her. Um, and Gilmouth. Her, also in attendance was her old friend, Ricardo Odorica, the owner of a boarding house at 1426 F Street, where she took a room for just $200 a month. Following her release, the relationship with Everson developed rapidly, and they were soon making wedding plans. Boom. So um, Everson he Gilmouth. opened a bank account with both their names, and soon after she offered her friend, or Dorica, $600 a month to rent the whole house instead of just the room. Yeah, she'll take and the And so whole house. her dream of running so her own boarding house would become a reality. And then she'll run out to other people. Yep, that's and right. Gilmouth Puente can get married. Yep. And they can be Gilmouth Puente or Puente Gilmouth. I'm not sure how they can arrange whose name, but Gilmouth, you got to keep that name. Okay, in November 1985, she hired this local handyman, Ishmael Flores, to put up some wood paneling on her house. Um, she also told him she had one more job for him. Um, she needed a box built, and she told him it needs to, she needed to store books and other things in it, and it had to be six feet long, three feet wide, and two feet deep. That's a coffin. I know. So he does, he, he builds the box. So the following day when he returns, the box had been filled, moved to an upstairs room, and nailed shut when he comes back. So he didn't move it. No. So then... Um, she needs just one last favor to have it transported to a storage depot. So again, he says, okay, I'll help her. And they load it onto his pickup truck with the help of a, na- a neighbor. Then um, on the way to the depot, the storage depot, she abruptly changed her mind and had Ishmael shot, stop just off Garden Highway in Sutter County and dump the box by the riverbank. He questioned her decision, but she quickly explained the contents were mainly junk and should have been dumped anyway. So he accepted her explanation That's and they returned weird. home. Instead of all your books and valuables, suddenly you want to just dump it on the side of the road and say it's junk. Right, right. Hmm. So then on New Year's Day in 1986, two fishermen found the foul-smelling box that was now half-submerged in the river. Why would it be foul-smelling? It's just books. Right. Well, they informed the local it. police who come and pry the box open, and inside they find the remains of Ed- Everson Gilmouth. Everson Gilmouth! Yep. He was. No! Yep. You're going to wake up our kids. I just love to have Russ Gilmore. He was dressed in his underwear, wrapped in a white bed sheet, <laughs> and bound with black electrician's tape. Oh. So. Tidy whities you think? Probably. Yeah, I would think. Dirty, dirty old tidy whities filled with poop because dead bodies. All right. <laughs> there was no uh, evidence of wounding, and, and the body was decomposed beyond the point of recognition. The only distinguishing feature was a wristwatch with a metallic band that still clung to the corpse's left wrist. Ah, oh, Gilmouth, we hardly knew ye. And with no identifiable characteristics to go on, the police soon added another John Doe to their list of unsolved homicides where it was to remain unidentified for three years. Oh. So they didn't know who they it was. They didn't know it was Gilmouth. No. With Gilmouth gone, Dorothea continued to collect his pension and wrote letters to his family explaining away his absence and lack of contact as being due to ill health. He's a real Gilmouth. 
Undaunted, she expanded her operation and took on 40 new ten- tenants who were mostly drunks and drug addicts. 40? Yep. That's a lot to take on. She was earning good money, but also squandering most of it on her lavish lifestyle and went back to cruising bars to look for new customers. With her house full of paying guests, she devised a plan whereby she collected all the mail and opened it before the tenants saw it. Damn. She would then give them each a small amount to spend, which normally lasted as far as the nearest bar. Yeah. Then they'd get drunk and out of control. They'd be picked up by the police, who were usually acting on an anonymous tip, and locked up for 30 days, during which time Puente would pocket their benefit money. Hell yeah, she would. So in the following months, more mysterious disappearances were reported. Dang. On August 19th, Betty Palmer, a 77-year-old resident of Puente's boarding house, never returned from a doctor's appointment. Several weeks later, Puente was in possession of an ID in Betty's name, but it bore her own picture, which she used to collect Betty's benefits. Oh, snap. In February the next year... Was she in a box, too? I don't know. In February the next year, another tenant, Leona Carpenter, was discharged from the hospital and placed in Puente's care. This woman was 78. Puente made her up a bed on the couch as a temporary measure, but two weeks later, she went missing and was never heard from again. Damn. James Gallup was 62 and was last seen... Not James Gallup, please. James Gallup. He was last seen in July 1987 when he was treated by his doctor after months in the hospital following an operation to remove a brain tumor. He told the doctor he was moving into a boarding house at 1426 F Street. The following October, 62-year-old Vera Martin moved into the boarding house and was never seen again. Vera Martin, too? Bert Montoya's arrived the following February 1988. We had already talked about. Yeah, Bert moved in. And soon after Puente took charge of his affairs... He, too, disappeared. See, now I'm thinking, Bert, earlier in this episode, I was thinking, oh, this is a great place for Bert. Now I'm thinking, Bert, no, Mm-mm. just say, no, man, don't do it. When the other Poor tenants Bert. asked about him, they were told he had left for Mexico to visit his family. Sunday, April 3rd, James Brown was arrested on assault charges. He appeared on CNN the next day mm-hmm. in a strange interview. Huh. So he assaulted his wife, I guess, and they were on the outs. Yeah. And you can see this interview on YouTube. Really? So look up James Brown, April 4th, 1988. <laughs> it's hilarious. Really? It's fucked up. He's is like he, singing and they're asking him. on something? To, oh, yeah. They're trying to ask him about his relationship. Well, you were arrested. And he starts singing, I feel good. Really? All right. That's right. That, was that about the time when Eddie Murphy did James Brown on Saturday Night Live? Cause uh, no, I think he had done that already. He had. Didn't he? Because 88 was a little bit later. They were, yeah. I don't. Maybe it was. I don't know. But uh, this is hilarious. He's got these big glasses on. He won't answer any of her questions. Oh, he my just God. keeps singing. He's like, because I'm good. And they're like, well, what are you doing? You're not. Uh, people are saying that you're having trouble in your relationship. Like, I'm doing fine. But are you guys, are, yeah. aren't you going to be single? I was like, I'm single and I'm ready to mingle. Oh He's like, God. oh, so you you are single. You're officially single. He's like, oh, yeah. And like, what do you think? Something about like, what do you think women should why would women want to date you if you're just having this trouble with your wife? He's like, oh, because I, I look good, I smell good, and I make love good. Oh, God. C- he's on CNN talking about this. Oh, this funny. woman is just interviewing him. It's, it's hilarious. you got to look that up. Yeah. James Brown interview, April 4th, 88, CNN. It's hilarious. That's funny. And then Saturday, April 9th, Billy Ocean, Get Out of My Dreams, Get Into My Car is okay. the number one song. Yeah. And that song was featured on the soundtrack for the 1988 film License to Drive. Mm-hmm. Remember that? With Corey yeah. Haim and Corey Feldman. Oh, right, yeah. I think Alyssa Milano was in it. I just remember we had a, a book in the library at school for License to Drive. It was the novel version oh, of the movie. Yeah. And 
it just changed hands from the kids who couldn't read very good, but just always read that. Yeah. <laughs> like it was just always, yeah. that's what you had to read. And then on Monday, April 11th, actor Chevy Chase hosted the Oscars for the second consecutive year. The Last Emperor won nine awards, including Best Picture and Best Director. Okay. I never uh, saw that. Or, yeah. Uh, for their performances in Moonstruck, Cher and Olympia Dukakis won Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress, respectively. Okay. And Michael Douglas won Best Actor for his role in Wall Street, and Sean Connery won Best Supporting Actor for The Untouchables. Untouchables was a good movie. Was it? Mm-hmm. And then Sunday, April 17th. I never saw The Untouchables. Yeah, that's a good one. Sunday, April 17th, 88, The Shroud of Turin had radiocarbon tests mm-hmm. to indicate the age oh. to prove if it was Jesus or not. Mm-hmm. You're familiar with the Shroud yeah. of Turin? It uh, indicated that it was from the 13th or 14th century. Would that be... So it's... I'm going to sound stupid right now. It's like 700 years old. So definitely no Jesus. Definitely not Jesus. So it was a, a scam. But they, probably there's people that don't believe it. Yeah, of course. There's something about, oh, it was burned one time and it like that messed up the test or something, but... But if you look this up on Wikipedia, the test yeah. that they did, it was very elaborate. And there was oh. all these people who were supposed to be nonpartisan or non, mm-hmm. all these separate entities testing it. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't share the results with each other kind of thing. So it's like real official. Wow. But, uh, yep. Nobody, yeah. There's people that won't. Be, oh, yeah. Nobody will buy it. I guess yeah. they want to believe what they want to believe. Saturday, April 23rd, 1988, Whitney Houston. Where do broken hearts go? Yuck. Do they find their way home? It's a dumb song. It is dumb. But the video, uh, she hated this song, I guess. Mm-hmm. The video was moderately controversial since the ambiguous ethnic background of Houston's love interest in the video. Mm-hmm. It highlighted the racial sensitivities that accompanied Houston's success during the 80s. Okay. She had been criticized for selling out and acting white. Oh, right. A mostly black audience jeered when Where Do Heart Broken Hearts Go was nominated for an award at the 1989 Soul Train Music Awards. Oh. They're very upset yeah. that she acted white and she's dating a white guy in the video or whatever. Oh, she is? The, the guy in the video seems looks like he's white, mm-hmm. kind of. So they must have been really upset when The Bodyguard came out. Yeah, I guess they would have. Maybe they, that was past all that. I wonder if that's why she married Bobby Brown, because of all the pressure on her. It from, could be. Oh, stop acting white or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so she had to find the most, Yeah, I don't know, the most opposite, opposite of like, Kevin Costner that white. you could find. Mm-hmm. Although Bobby Brown, I don't know. I don't think he was so. I didn't think he was as bad till he was with Whitney Houston. Like I mean, he was a bad boy, whatever, right? But he was new addition. He was funny more than anything, I thought. But I don't yeah. know. But he became a bad boy because he was blamed for all of her troubles. That's right. And I don't know if that he was the bad boy. I think maybe she was the worst part. I don't know. Who knows? What do I know? So I guess we'll just, that's the end. Of, that's all I have for April. So maybe we should just end it there. Okay. Uh, and then we'll pick up in May. Yep. That we'll, sounds good. Yeah. We'll mm-hmm. have a lot to get through, but most of it's just songs and movies and stuff and wrestling stories. Jeez. But, More of those. <laughs> can't wait for those. You can't wait for those. We'll pick it up in May. Okay. That sounds good. In the good. next episode. But here we're going to have to say goodbye yes. to episode 23. That sounds right. 23. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for telling your friends. No, wait. 21 is the end of 86. It doesn't matter. Episode 24. Yeah, anyway, that's the end of episode 24. Yeah. 
yeah thanks for listening um all that bullshit like yeah 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 whatever blah 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 like us on twitter rate review uh represent us in court um sign us to a lucrative deal that's right so we can where we start getting paid upper crappy day jobs no i'll still work okay yeah i'll always work uh because i work baby i work but still just give us money like hey how about you uh sponsor us budweiser why don't you sponsor us there you go budweiser sucks no no it's great it's great <laughs> all right it's time to get out, yeah, of, here, time chuck to get out of here get the fuck out of here chuck berry matt truman's got a new album out yeah buy his album buy his album buy all of his albums and then if you've already bought it buy it again that's right matt truman i apologize for everything i've done to you over the years take it away i wash this torso Get out of here, Chuck Berry. What you're going to be Hello, doing Dad. on this tour? Huh? What'd What are you going to be doing on this tour? I'm going to be doing you... Papa's Got a Brand New Bag of Living in America. Sex Machine, get up off of that thing. I feel good. Jam. Now, I understand that you I'm have real. already... James, I have to ask you one serious question here. I understand you already have started divorce proceedings. Does that mean that you're now eligible? Um, no, I'm, yes, I'm eligible. I'm singing. Uh, I want to mingle. You want to mingle. Yeah. Now, the women love you when you get out there. Why do you think that is? What did you say? The women love you when you get out there. Why is that, ladies? Well, I'm asking you. Huh? Because I look good. What do you think good. that is? You I look good. I smell good. I yes. feel good. And you sing good. And make love good. Oh. <laughs> well, there we are. We don't have to ask anybody else. We got that from the source. <laughs> there, there you are.